Hej, and welcome to the history of Denmark. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. While I recorded this episode, I was a bit sick and therefore my voice was hoarse. So don't be surprised if I sound a bit monotonous in this episode. Thank you. Episode 10. Family Feud. Hello again. Last time we covered the almost 40-year reign of King Valdemar the Victorious, who expanded the territory of Denmark to Estonia, but ended up losing control of Holstein and the Wendish territories towards the end of his reign. We ended the episode by looking at succession to his son, Erik Plaupenny, who faced a rebellion from his brothers, Abel and Christopher, which ended with his murder by Abel. Abel swore that he had not killed his older brother and was accepted as king. Today we will look at the last half of the 13th century and a bit beyond that, a period with both internal and external power struggles in the Kingdom of Denmark. Abel began his reign by finalizing the peace treaty with the Teutonic Order in the Baltic concerning the borders of the Duchy of Estonia. He also made friendship agreements with the German merchant cities of Lübeck, Rostock and Wismar, as well as the Lord of Mecklenburg, securing his southern border. His other neighbors were hostile towards him though, as Abel supported a rebellion in Sweden and faced anger from Norway, whose merchants had been extorted during the recent civil war. He began work on legal reform, which took the shape of the so-called Regulation of Abel Christopher, a decree which made up the first step in the direction of a universal law code for all parts of Denmark. The nobility also wanted succession to be more predictable, and the relation of power with the king clarified. In June 1252, the second year of his reign, Abel launched a military campaign against the Frisians on the southwestern coast of Schleswig. The aim was to bring this minority into line and get them to pay their taxes. The war came to an abrupt end when Abel was hit with an arrow and died. King Abel would be the last king of Denmark to die in battle, and his reign is the shortest of any Danish monarch, with just under two years. The eldest of his three sons, Valdemar, was in France at the time, and rushed home to claim the crown, but he was arrested by the Archbishop of Cologne, Conrad. Conrad wanted to ransom him, and the exchange was conducted in 1253, when his allies in Holstein paid the money. When he arrived in Denmark, however, Christopher, the third son of Valdemar the Victorious, had seized the throne, and had been crowned in the Lund Cathedral on the Christmas Day of 1252. Valdemar resigned himself to be the Duke of Schleswig, but the foundation for a feud between the line of Abel and the line of Christopher had been laid. Christopher immediately began the process of having Eric Plaupenny canonized as a saint. The intention is obvious. If Eric were made a saint, then Abel would become a saint murderer, meaning that his sons and descendants would lose all legitimacy, both as dukes of Schleswig and as potential kings of Denmark. Around the same time as the canonization process began, an edict was published which likened the three sons of Abel to spawn of the devil himself. 
This gave Christopher a pretext for dissolving the Duchy of Schleswig and incorporating the lands into his personal territory. This effort came to nothing at first though, as in 1252 the nobles of Holstein invaded and captured Schleswig in the name of Valdemar. The following year, as I mentioned before, Valdemar was ransomed from Cologne. Christopher was unable to counter this, as he was preoccupied with an invasion from Brandenburg. This attack was caused by the death of his wife, Sophie, whose relatives in Brandenburg argued that they had the right to some of the castles which were still in Danish hands on the southern coast of the Baltic Sea. The king decided to make peace on this front, giving up the castles and turning his attention to Schleswig in 1254. Instead of deciding the dispute on the battlefield, Christopher allowed Valdemar to become the Duke of Schleswig as his vassal. This arrangement lasted for three years until Valdemar died at the age of 19 in 1257. Christopher daringly made his move and declared that the Duchy of Schleswig was no more. The second son of Abel, named Eric, immediately allied himself with the nobility of Holstein and the Count of Rügen, but their efforts came to nothing as Christopher swiftly invaded and occupied Schleswig. The years between 1255 and 1258 were also marked by several peasant revolts, resulting in much land being pillaged. These were caused by dissatisfaction with taxation and the constant conflicts between the nobility. Although the peasants managed to occupy castles at some points, all of the rebellions were crushed eventually, and they only served to make the nobility more loyal to the king. The nobility were disgruntled at the way Christopher had gained the throne, and he finalized the regulation of Abel Christopher. This led to the practice of yearly meetings between the king and the nobility, where legal reforms were discussed. These so-called Dane courts would continue throughout the latter half of the 1200s and a century onwards from there. Their influence would rise and fall throughout the years, and they would continue until 1413, meaning that they will play a big part in the podcast until we have covered the Middle Ages. The principal event of Christopher's reign was the conflict with the church. The days of strong personal friendships between the most important priests and the king were over. From Sven Estruson to Valdemar the Victorious, this had more or less been status quo, leading to great stability within Denmark and giving the opportunity for the king to exert his power abroad. The two richest and most powerful bishops in the realm, Bishop Peter of Roskilde and Archbishop Jacob of Lund, wanted their relationship with the king to mirror that of the German bishops. Specifically, they wanted a greater deal of autonomy in legal and military matters. The king still claimed influence in the matter of investiture, meaning that he wanted to have a say in the succession of bishops. The bishops could counter the king's influence in times of succession by refusing to crown a successor. The conflict between Archbishop Jacob and King Christopher began in 1254, when Jacob was made archbishop without the approval of the king, and furthermore, Jacob decided not to crown the young Eric V as co-king. The archbishop also provoked the king by fortifying the castle of Hammershus on the island of Bornholm, and by calling the bishops of the realm to a meeting in the city of Baile. Here, they agreed to sign an edict which stated that if the king imprisoned a bishop, all church activities in the realm would be halted and anyone involved would be excommunicated. 
Jacob was then thrown in prison in 1256, and his allies, the House of Abel and the Count of Rügen, sprung into action. The Count of Rügen was Jaromar II, son of Witzlaw I. He was the same man who had previously supported Eric, the second son of Abel, in his bid for the Duchy of Schleswig, and his Wendish forces make up the bulk of the army of the rebellion. Together with the Bishop of Roskilde, they attacked Copenhagen in 1259, breaking through the wooden palisade and looting the city. A large part of the city was destroyed by a fire, and the castle built by Absalon on Slotsholmen was demolished. In the beginning of the 1500s, the Tower of Jaromar was built on the spot where the Wendish army broke through the defenses of Copenhagen. The tower is intentionally built as a ruin in order to commemorate the destruction the city suffered. Just one month after the sack of Copenhagen, in May 1259, King Christopher suddenly died, leaving the 11-year-old Eric V as King of Denmark, and his mother Margaret as regent. Margaret raised a peasant army in Jutland and met Jaromar at Nestville on Zealand in June that same year. The Count of Rügen dealt the loyalist forces a devastating defeat. This convinced the Queen Regent to settle the issue, and she followed the advice of the Pope by releasing Archbishop Jacob from prison. She also soothed Jaromar by granting his ally Eric, the son of Abel, control of Schleswig. Jaromar, however, was stabbed to death the same year by a woman from Bornholm, who was upset that he had raided the island. Perhaps the death of Eric Abelson's chief ally was the reason why Margaret reneged on her arrangement, and led an army to Schleswig in 1261 to reincorporate the province into the domain of the crown. In the Battle of Lo Heath, the Danish army was crushed by the coalition of Eric Abelson, which consisted mainly of troops from Holstein. Queen Regent Margaret and her son Eric V were both captured. The conflict between the line of Abel and the line of Christopher thus came to a standstill once again. It was decided that the conflict between Archbishop Jacob and the crown would be decided by the Pope, and Jacob traveled to Rome to participate in the trial. It would drag on until 1274 and end up favoring the crown. Thus humiliated, Jacob began to travel home to Denmark, but died mysteriously on the way, having failed in his attempt to strengthen the church in Denmark. The queen and her son were not completely defeated in spite of their capture, as they had allies in Duke Albert I of Brunswick-Lüneburg and the nobility of Brandenburg. Albert traveled to Denmark in 1262 to act as a negotiator in the feud. He successfully ransomed the queen and escorted her home to Zealand. King Eric, still underage, was sent to Brandenburg for safekeeping. Albert then took over as de facto regent, sometimes described as a military dictator of Denmark, for a few years. Eric V reached adulthood in 1264 and took over from Albert, who returned to Germany. His mother, Queen Margaret, had negotiated with Pope Urban IV, and he had granted permission for women to be able to inherit the throne of Denmark. This was deemed necessary because if Eric died without children, one of his sisters would have to inherit to prevent the line of Abel from taking the throne. This wouldn't be the case though, as Eric had a son of his own within the first decade of his reign. 
The Dane courts during the first years of Eric V's rule were uneventful, and peace seemed to have set in at last. In 1272, Eric Abelson died, and his son, Valdemar, was underage, providing the king with an excuse to take control of Schleswig. In 1276, a notable Dane court took place, because the nobility swore oaths of loyalty to King Eric's young son, named Eric Menville. The two parties also continued the discussion on the legal relationship between them. Eric successfully passed a law concerning the procedure for prosecuting an individual for treason against the king, but the nobility made sure to add the condition that twelve of the king's closest men could acquit the accused if they disagreed with the king. The Dane court of 1276 can be seen as a build-up to the one in 1282, which is a very notable event in Danish legal history. It acts as a sort of Danish Magna Carta, in that the decisions made at this council limit the power of the king in favor of the nobility, just like the arrangement the English barons made with the king John at the beginning of the 1200s in England. The background for the Dane court of 1282 was the fact that Duke Albert of Brunswick, one of Eric's chief allies, had died in 1279. On top of this, both Norway and Schleswig posed threats, due to claims on Danish lands by the Norwegian queen and Valdemar, grandson of Abel, who wanted control of Schleswig back. And so, on the 29th of July 1282, after three months of negotiations, King Eric V of Denmark decided to make a charter together with the nobility, making several promises. Firstly, he promised to call Dane courts every year, and made them the supreme legal authority in Denmark, as well as being the only body able to decide cases of treason. Secondly, the rule of habeas corpus, as it is called in Latin, was instituted, meaning that no one could be imprisoned unless he had confessed his crimes, been proven guilty, or had been caught in the act. Thirdly, the king relinquished many minor powers, such as the right to demand transportation of himself, the right to build castles in other people's lands without permission, and the right to confiscate the property of criminals. All in all, the Charter of 1282 is most important for its role in establishing Dane courts as a respected legal authority. The following years, many new laws were passed. Two examples are the decision that shipwrecked people would be compensated for their losses, and the decision that the king would be granted the right to, in the case of an emergency, to buy the tithe, that is, the grain collected by the church. The aristocracy was also soothed on the matter of the right to feud with one another, as a law from 1284 made sure that if anyone killed another man in his home, in a shelter or in a church, he would be declared an outlaw, regardless of his social status. Valdemar's demands were accommodated in that he was made the Duke of Schleswig in 1283. Just two years later, though, he and Eric came into conflict because Valdemar thought he had the right to rule over the island of Els, but the king denied him this right. Valdemar also thought that the king was taxing him too heavily. This led to a military conflict in 1285 where Valdemar occupied Els, but his rebellion was crushed swiftly. Valdemar was imprisoned until May the following year, when the Dane court settled the issue by once again making him the ruler of Schleswig. In 
In the first half of the 1280s, Norway raided Denmark under the pretext that the Queen of Norway had a claim to some lands in Denmark, as I mentioned earlier. Erik V established a makeshift alliance with Lübeck, but the German merchant city backed out shortly after. The raids, however, did not significantly disrupt the king's reign. I have been calling King Erik by his numeral, the fifth. However, by contemporary sources, and to this day, he is most often known as Erik Klipping. The name refers to a sheared sheep hide, but we have no explanation for why he was called by this strange nickname. His death came eight months after the conflict with Valdemar over the island of Els. Erik Klipping was murdered in a barn located in the town of Finnerup, close to the larger city of Viborg in Jutland. The murder is infamous in Danish history as the last murder of a king, and for the mystery surrounding it. The incident is mentioned in several sources. Among these are the Yearbook of Rud Monastery, the Chronicle of Jutland, and correspondence between Archbishop Jens Grant and the future King Erik VI, who I previously referred to as Erik Menvil. The yearbook states, in typical yearbook fashion, that King Erik was killed in his sleep on the 22nd of November by the ones he trusted the most. He received 56 wounds. The Chronicle of Jutland adds another detail, since it states that Duke Valdemar was involved in the conspiracy, along with several influential nobles. The correspondence between the next king and the Archbishop of Lund has a longer passage, where the men who would be convicted of the murder were named. Quote, yes, this King Eric Christofferson raised and tutored some of this archbishop's and bishop's relatives as his children, namely Count Jacob, Marshal Stig, Peter Jacobsen, Rane Jonsson, and several others. He made them rich instead of others who were loyal to the crown, and he made them fathers of the realm and lords of all the revenues and incomes of the realm, and reserved only the kingship for himself. They were ungrateful in the face of this great benefactor, and after having enriched themselves with all the fat of the fatherland, they thought that as long as the crown of the realm was not in their hands, they had nothing, even though they possessed great wealth. When their blinded gang of conspirators were gathered, the sons of the darkness rose in the middle of the night with wildness against King Eric, anointed by the Lord, and in the most gruesome way killed him with several horrifying wounds, which he received while he lay in his bed. End quote. So you can hear that King Eric VI holds quite a grudge against these men, who supposedly killed his father. I should clarify that when he mentions an archbishop and a bishop in the beginning of the extract, he is talking about Archbishop Jacob and Bishop Pilum, who were in conflict with his father and grandfather. The conspirators are all related in one way or another to these two men, and thus they are all connected to the House of Ville some through the female line, and others through a direct male line. The murder of Eric Klipping resulted in the crown of Denmark passing to his son, Eric VI or Eric Menville. His nickname comes from an expression he is thought to have used often. Since he was only 12 years old at the time of his father's death, Duke Valdemar of Schleswig stepped in as regent. This could be a sign that he may have been involved in murder because he seemed to have benefited the most from it. The men listed in the source I just read from all fled into exile in Norway when they were accused of the murder. After being declared outlaws, they decided to partner with the Norwegians, 
and they raided the Danish coasts in the following years. These persistent attacks could be the reason why Eric Menville was so convinced that they were guilty of the murder of his father. The regency with Duke Valdemar in charge lasted until the year 1289. Up until that year, the importance of the Dane courts decreased, since so many of the leading nobles were now in exile. Power was handed over to the king without problems, who at age 15 or 16 could rule in his own right. Eric's main goal was to reassert Danish power over the Baltic Sea, and in order to achieve this, he needed alliances. He had fallen out with the city of Lübeck during the war with Norway, so he looked to Holstein and Sweden instead. His widowed mother, Agnes, was married off to the Count of Holstein, while he himself married the sister of King Birger Maunusson of Sweden when he was 19. The alliance between Denmark, Holstein and Sweden was further strengthened by the fact that the sister of the Count of Holstein was the mother of Birger Magnusson, and by the marriage between the Swedish king and the sister of Erik Menville in 1298. If you recall from the source I read from before, it was in the form of correspondence between the king and the Archbishop of Lund, Jens Gran. This archbishop was, if not allied with the conspirators, then at least sympathetic towards them, because he defended their case in his replies to the king. After a raid by the conspirators in 1293, Eric VI had had enough, and he imprisoned Jens Gran, accusing him of collaborating with the outlaws. The crown confiscated his lands and kept him imprisoned for almost ten years until he managed to escape. The archbishop fled to Rome and had the pope judge the case, but unfortunately for him, as with Archbishop Jacob, the issue dragged on, this time until 1302. And as with that case, on top of the long wait, the final verdict was in favor of the king. Although Eric was forced to compensate the church for the property he had confiscated, the archbishop was forced to abdicate his seat in Lund, and was relocated to Riga in the Baltic region. The conspirators had also passed away for the most part, letting the king make peace with Norway. Eric did not rest on his laurels though. Inspired by his great-grandfather, Valdemar the Victorious, the king wanted to reassert Danish rule over northern Germany. In addition to this, cities like Lübeck were rich, and for reasons we will go into detail with next time, the king was in serious need of money. In 1307, he was called to Lübeck to settle a dispute with the neighbors of the city, and he managed to secure overlordship over the German town for ten years. The city of Rostock had likewise submitted to his rule. Eric also made some errors, though. In 1307, he appointed his brother Christopher as the Duke of Halland an area north of Scania, and bordering Norway to the north, as well as Sweden to the east. This location gave Christopher the perfect opportunity to scheme against his brother. He made overtures to King Håkon of Norway, with the intent of usurping Denmark. Meanwhile, Sweden was experiencing a crisis which would affect the relationship between the three Scandinavian countries immensely. King Birger Magnusson's two brothers, who were both lords in their own right, were conspiring against him. They moved quickly and had the king arrested and imprisoned. Remember that Eric VI of Denmark was married to the sister of Birger, and he was married to Eric's sister. He therefore had an obligation and an interest in settling the issue. King Håkon of Norway also had a stake in it, 
since his daughter, heir to the kingdom of Norway, was betrothed to one of the brothers of King Birgum. The Swedish question appeared to be settled when the brothers released Birger from prison in 1309, on the condition that he share power with them, but the king decided to call on Eric to help him instead. The king of Denmark thus led an army which, by the standards of the day, was massive into Sweden to help his brother-in-law. The taxes implemented in order to finance this campaign and the requirement for the lords of Denmark to provide troops caused them to rebel before the king managed to do anything with the army, and he was forced to put down this rebellion. The next year though, in 1310, he was in a much stronger position, and he managed to bring everyone to the negotiating table. The betrothal between the daughter of King Hogan and the brother of King Birger was cancelled, removing that threat from the picture. A more safe marriage was arranged for the brother, and the daughter in question was instead betrothed to Magnus, son of Birger. This indicates that Eric had the intention of forging a Nordic union, something that would not be accomplished until later. Unfortunately for him, the brother of the Swedish king broke with the arrangement and married the Norwegian princess anyway in 1312, and by this time Eric VI faced domestic challenges. The harvests did not produce adequate amounts of grain in these years, perhaps as a result of the Little Ice Age, a climactic cooling period which began around this time. On top of this, the peasants of Sealand rebelled because of the heavy tax burden instituted to finance the campaigns both against the German cities and the fellow Scandinavians. This rebellion, while swiftly crushed, prevented the king from stopping the illegal marriage. The peasant revolt was finally ended when Eric had the leaders executed by hanging. The next year, 1313, brought a much more serious rebellion this time in Jutland, and this was no peasant revolt, but instead led by the nobility. The initial army sent by the king was defeated by the rebels, driving Eric to hire German mercenaries, whom he had also employed regularly against the cities of northern Germany. This proved effective, and the rebellion was put down. However, mercenaries are expensive, and the finances of the kingdom were not doing well to begin with. The consistent employment of hired swords would have serious consequences for Eric down the road. In an attempt to prevent further rebellions, the king forced the peasants to help erect new castles in strategic positions throughout Jutland. Eric also suspected the new archbishop Eskajul of conspiring with the rebels, so he intimidated him into paying a fine and giving up the right to appoint the castellan of the castle of Hamasus. I mentioned Hamasus earlier in this episode. As you recall, it was a formidable fortress located on the island of Bornholm, and it was under the jurisdiction of the Archbishop of Lund, based in Scania. The king's conniving brother, Christopher, had been pulling the strings during this whole time. I already mentioned his overtures to the King of Norway, but he also secretly aided the different rebels, and even welcomed some of them into his domain, after the uprisings were put down. The worsening relations between Eric Menville and his brother Christopher came to a head soon after. In 1316, civil war broke out, and Christopher invaded Funen and Scania. Once more, brothers were fighting for the crown of Denmark. That was all for this episode of the History of Denmark. We have covered the period 
between 1241 and 1316, looking at the descendants of Valdemar the Victorious. I have decided that next week will be a special episode. I thought it would be proper to cover the geography of Denmark, since I realized that many of you are probably not familiar with it, and it could help in your understanding of Danish history. I will also look at the agricultural developments of medieval Denmark and the herring trade, which constituted an important source of income in this period, and maybe some other minor things I still need to cover. I would like to thank Carrie Rebecca of the All Things Podcast Facebook page for giving me a shout-out. I recommend that you check her out at www.facebook.com slash allthingspodcasts or on her website allthingspodcast.com where she shares some less well-known but nonetheless interesting podcasts such as my own. As for me, I can be found at www.thehistoryofdenmark.wordpress.com as always. Thank you for listening and goodbye.